Welcome back to Medical Mums Chat About Burnout. I'm Beck Lettingham, Rural Generalist, um, single mum, amateur podcaster, founder of Medical Mums, and uh, I'm burnt out. Have been for a little while and decided to set about finding out more about this and to chat to some people about their experiences and what they've learned along the way. In this episode, we meet Dr. Claire Skinner, a specialist emergency physician with interest in leadership, advocacy, workplace culture, quality and safety, clinical redesign and health system reform. Claire shares with us what she's learned over her career about burnout and stories of her own burnout. Um, And across the distance, we have recognised we have a lot in common and look forward to meeting up in real life one day. Uh, The internet is a great connector of people, but unfortunately doesn't always hold up to... um, high quality. I've hopefully edited out most of the difficult bits, but you will see it drop in and out in this and other episodes. Um, Bear with it, it shouldn't last for too long. I'd like to really thank Claire and her very busy life for taking the time to talk to me, and I hope you all get something out of this chat. Um, And as per usual, you can find a list of places to go for help if you recognise your own burnout while listening to this chat, and definitely reach out. We're all in this together Um, and I think there's brighter days ahead if we make the changes that we need to make, which I am in the process of, and uh, thank everyone for their time in talking to me about this really important topic. And I think burnout is, um, I'm putting my heart and soul into something and it doesn't care for me as much as I care for it. So I'm Claire Skinner. I'm an emergency physician from Sydney and I'm currently the president-elect of the Australasian College for Emergency Medicine. Oh, I didn't even know that. Yes. <laughs> I should have known that. Fabulous. Congratulations. How long have you been in that role? <laughs> Thank you. Um, since October last year. Oh, that's wonderful. Yeah. And tell me about your experiences of burnout, if you've I've had several experiences of burnout, Beck. So um, I mostly talk about probably my first one in medicine. I've had them. I had other jobs prior to medicine as well, so I've experienced it in different industries. Yeah. Um, but my first experience in medicine was towards the end of my PGY two year. Um, I was an intern and RMO one in Canberra, and um, I loved it. I loved being a junior doctor around the hospital. I'm an all rounder by nature. I love new things, so I love rotating terms and getting to know new people and learning new things. And I put my heart and soul into that job, but I was a long way from home. Um, I'd moved there with my husband. I'd married my boyfriend from medical school and we moved there together and neither of us were from there. I'd lived there before um, briefly, but we set up there and the relationship went wrong and um, I threw myself heart and soul into the job and it all went a bit, you know, thing. it was really hard balancing those things. And the, the other thing that happens, I guess, is not only do you move interstate for a job, which is the biggest job transition of your life, but then once you're at that hospital, you also get sent to a whole pile of other hospitals on rotation, which again is really exciting and fantastic and a whole bunch of new people. But when you're a little bit wobbly on the inside can magnify the effects of what you're feeling. I really learned a lot about myself through that process, which I'll talk about. There's positives here as well. But I found that I was getting physically sick. I was starting to feel really depressed. 
I didn't want to go out um, and anyone who knows me in real life knows that I'm the sort of person that will go to the opening of an envelope. So that should have been a big warning sign. And um, I felt like I was just going through the motions, I guess. So I remember um, a point where I was in the ED and I was examining a patient and I thought, hey, I'd better actually put my stethoscope to this patient's chest because a nurse is watching me and she'll notice if I don't examine the patient. Mm. And I had no, you know, that point where you've got, we've probably experienced it, that point where you go, I'm only doing this because I'm following a routine. I'm not actually emotionally invested in what I'm doing. And that's the moment when you've got to start doing something else. Yeah. Um, so I kept going for a while. I think I first hit that, um, you know, my marriage broke up towards the end of my intern year. I kept going. I made the decision to stay in Canberra despite the marriage breaking down. I have excellent friendships still from Canberra and it's 20 years ago. Mm. But um, possibly the better decision would have been to head on home to some family and other things. But I stayed there. I kept on going. I um, was a president of the RMO Association and I was on you know, various, I was on the faculty of the ANU at that stage. We were setting up the new medical school. So I had lots of exciting things to do. So I didn't want to break all of that. Um, I was the junior doctor that was involved in Grand Rounds. So I used to present grand rounds and do a whole bunch of teaching, which I loved. And um, I just found myself in a big pile of not caring and being physically sick and being very, very miserable. I remember my mum coming down to Canberra and taking me out, my mum and dad coming down and taking me out to lunch. And um, we ate the lunch and it was all very, very nice. And then I just burst into tears and couldn't get up. Mm. And they were like, we need to take you home now. And I'm like, well, I have a job. And... Um, it was really interesting actually trying to negotiate that because I'd been a fairly high-performing JMO. I'd won prizes and uh, was in lots of representative roles and actually trying to go and broach that conversation of I just can't keep on going is really hard. Mm. I, I hit physical illness, so I got aspiration pneumonia. I have a vocal cord palsy towards the end of my RMO year and I got quite physically ill. And even trying to be physically ill at the hospital wasn't on. Like I remember going you know, saying to my consultant, I'm not very well, I, you know, and he said, oh, you'll be fine, just go and work over, you know, we'll go and work over in cubes. Mm. And instead of, he, he, subsequently we had the conversation, like after, you know, after this illness, we had the conversation, he said, well, the right answer would have been you need to go home and I should have actually driven you home or actually realised that you did by yourself and someone should have looked after you. But we have this mindset of keeping on going until we're so physically downtrodden yeah. that we, don't, we can't see the wood for the trees. And I've been there and it was horrible. Yeah. Um, I kept on going. I applied for physician training. I got in. I started physician training and I literally lasted three weeks. Um, and it was, it was undoable. You know, that thing you go with the hindsight of being now having been a consultant for 10 years and been in a leadership position, that job was undoable. Mm. I had 45 patients on my list. I was covering a vacant um, FTE on the other team in that specialty. And that person would have had another 40 patients on their list. And then I just couldn't do it. Like every single day felt like a reactive after hours ward around. There was no capacity to provide proactive care. This is my first term as a medical registrar. And I remember going to the director of medical services and saying, I'm really sorry, I can't do this job. I'm being told, well, well, no one's ever complained before. If you can't cope, you might need to go and get some coaching or think about whether you're cut out for this job. Mm. And then I said, well, I think I'm going to have to resign. I remember going to my GP and GPs are fantastic. And she just said, she said, this is undoable. You're killing yourself. You need to get out of this job. She said, here's a, here's a medical certificate for four weeks of sick leave. And she said, if you need more, just come back. And I took that to the director of medical services and he said, you're never going to work in Sydney again. 
um, which is total horseshit yeah. because I had another job within a week. Yeah. So I took a few weeks off um, I, and I was fantastic. Like it, that was that year was fantastic for me. And I look at where I was now and I'm owning up to this, but no one would ever argue that that decision there was not the right thing to do for my career. Yeah. I did a whole bunch of locums. I got the ED bug big time. So I changed out of physician training into ED training. I did my master's of public health um, and I, um, you know, I ended up working at another hospital as a medical registrar, as a locum, bit of ED locums in rural towns, which I love and still have friendships from. Mm-hmm. And, you know, hey, you how took, good for me as a clinician. If you took that conversation and made it into a relationship, that's an abusive relationship. And that conversation plays over in various hospitals around, you know, Australia and New Zealand. I'm sure it's getting better. I feel like it's getting better, but I've been told similar things. And you wouldn't yeah, accept that from a romantic partner, and yet we accept it from our employers. You know, it's that kind of gaslighting really almost, isn't it? It is, and it's really interesting. So something I've learnt, um, you know, and particularly as I've got into positions of leadership myself in medicine, is people give you advice for a variety of reasons, but we forget about you know, we all learn all these concepts when we're dealing with patients, but we forget about them in ourselves and the way we interact with each other. So there's, you know, people project their anxiety onto you or they project their vision or their aspirations onto you. Mm. So when you go and ask people for advice, they rarely actually give you advice that's centred on you. It's often centred on their thwarted dreams or their aspirations or what they're concerned about Mm. instead of thinking about your unique circumstances. So that was a big lesson for me and you can make your own pathway and it's not going to stand in your way. And it was liberating. It was liberating to own up to not wanting to cope with the system as it was in PGY3 mm. and, and it hasn't done me any harm. So how many years did you kind of just step off the treadmill and do your own thing for? I stepped off the treadmill for a year. Mm-hmm. Well, I stepped off. I stepped off formally, I guess, you know, three weeks into one clinical year and I was back by the middle of term two the following year. Yep. Um, but I was back in a different specialty with different aspirations and um, with a whole bunch of other experiences under my belt. So I did. I, I also ended up working in policy that year. So I did. I did a couple of projects, ironically, about ED workforce, which has been really useful. Um, and did a whole bunch of my, you know, my stuff. Like I got really going with the community orchestra. I had a, you know, a fantastic year with a lot of support. I moved home with my parents. That's really daggy, isn't it? But sometimes you just need to do that. Mm-hmm. And just started again. And it was liberating to do that. And also I said, you know what, all our worries, all our worries are concentrated in that moment where you have to own up to not coping. Mm-hmm. But when it's happened, you rebuild with knowing that it's not the world's biggest deal if everything falls apart because you can cope. You know, and that's a, that's the position of strength. Yeah, I often think about jet skis and I don't know why. I must have had a formative experiment, experience that involved jet skis and I think it's really scary to think about falling off and actually you're just better off once you've fallen off because then you get back on and you realise it's not the end of the world to fall off and I think it might be the same in life. So, And for the skills that you learnt during that year, have you flexed those muscles during the last 18 years of your medical career and realised? Absolutely, absolutely. Those skills, okay, the skill of being able to turn up to a small ED and get on with everybody and see what comes and manage procedures and manage a whole bunch of stuff, yes, absolutely, that's coloured my practice and my subsequent career choices. My Masters of Public Health is invaluable to me. Um, 
you know, my policy work set me up for a broader understanding of the system. So yes, absolutely invaluable. And what about the skills in recognizing your own limits and your and your kind of have you been able to recognize when things are getting on top of you more? Do you think? Yeah, I think I think that's true as well. Like I think I came out of that with a greater awareness of when you know of real of recognizing early warning signs. Yeah, of my own ability to cope. And what are they for you? And also. And also a better understanding of when it was me and when it was the system or when it was another individual. Yeah. So I was able, I'm able to untangle that much better having had that experience. I've had subsequent periods of burnout. So I, you know, I got a few years into the ED training program and attempted to walk away again. Yeah. And what I did that time was I, and, and it was better because I, I got to it early. I realised I was getting tired and I went and said, look, I can't do this anymore. I think I'm better off to step out of this job, which was the, you know, the big tertiary ED training job. And I think, I think I want to go and work, you know, in an urban district in a, in a less, you know, competitive environment for a while, which I did. And that was great again, because I went and I was part of a different ED family. It was gentler. The work work is just as hard, but the environment can be more nurturing. Mm. Um, And so yeah, I, I've done it done again. I, I have to admit, I had a really tough year last year. Like I was exhausted by November, December last year. And again, I knew to ask for some leave and to just change tack on what I was doing. Now, so I think I've got better at it. And what? how do you think at being in the kind of heart of um, COVID scariness at the moment, I, I think this has kind of accelerated burnout for a lot of health professionals because it's just been a really difficult, huge change, you know, in the way that we do things. Um, how do you think that's affected people's morale and, you know, coping skills? I think it's amazing because I think we all have more in the tank than we think. Yeah. You know, so when an emergency happens, you can pull out, you can, you know, you can pull a rabbit out of a hat. We all know that, you know, like I, I'm not a particularly physically fit person, but if I was being chased by someone with an axe, I could sprint, you know, yeah. I know that. And, we're, and you can do that. So that's been true of COVID. So big challenge came we pulled out all stops and we went for it but you can do that for a short sharp burst but you can't do that indefinitely and I think that's true physically but it's also true psychologically so we've dealt with a massive amount of anxiety and uncertainty in the last 18-20 months and I think we're all exhausted Mm. you know what I think we're about you know it's definitely in Sydney we're pulling out all stops again we've got a new challenge Um, and I think we've got it and we'll be okay but we've boy have we got to look after each other but the other thing is, I think we're having the well-being conversations. But the well-being has to be comprehensive. Like it can't just be about individual level well-being. It also has to be about systematic and structural well-being as well, because it's part of the same package. Yeah. And if you, if if someone was listening and thought, actually, I think I am burnt out, and um, they've heard a few people's experiences and they're identifying with that, what would be your tips to someone who's feeling burnt out? Um, for me, the best thing I've had for my survival in this challenging career is mentorship. So I would say find a safe space, you know, find someone who you can talk to and feel safe. And that's easier said than done for some people. Some people are talkers, some people aren't. And also some people are naturally better networkers than other people and more willing to open up. But I think probably everybody should have a safe space. It doesn't need to be someone senior to you necessarily. It can be peer level. It can even, I have a number of mentors who are younger than me and you learn things from all directions, but I think having the people you can reach out to and do it early. I sort of now think of burnout almost like bushfires. And I know that sounds really ridiculous, but also we've had enough bushfire challenges around these traps recently too, but um, it's sort of 
it's sort of instead of assuming it won't happen to you, almost do the reverse, which is assume it probably will yep. and have a plan. So have a plan to reduce your working hours or change tack a little bit. Um, have a plan for who you're going to talk to and who you're going to reach out to because I think the moment you own up to something being a problem, instantly the burden lifts because the uncertainty of it in your own head can just, you know, circle around and just saying it out loud can sometimes help. Um, and also I think there's a piece here as well about making sure you're financially secure enough and not living beyond your means enough that you can take some time out if you need to. Mm. Um, and also remember the simple things. So um, I know when I'm feeling burnt out, it's good to remember that there's more important things than my job. Mm. Like my family, um, the environment around me, like all the creative things I enjoy, yep. make sure there's a few of those around you as well. So your identity is not 100% wrapped up in your job. Fabulous. I think that's a big problem in medicine. Yeah. I think part of it, we, we were talking earlier about, you know, the sunk costs of medicine. And part of the sunk cost is your identity is totally wrapped up in your job mm. and all, all your training is wrapped up in your job. So if you've got, you know, five, seven, ten years of professional training wrapped up in your one specialty area, it's very hard to cast that to the wind and start again. I think that's a problem in medicine personally. I dream of systems where we have more recognition of prior learning and you can move around a little bit more easily. Mm. Yeah, I think um, I often think about high level positions, how they should be like kangaroo cricket and there's a finite yeah, time yeah. and then you're asked to move on because nobody should be in those kind of positions forever. It's just not it's not conducive to a dynamic, well, healthy not, system. Not, you know? not, not actually for themselves and not actually for the department or the service yeah, either. Yeah. Um, I don't know. It's really hard though because um, we've had this conversation with ED directorships. Obviously, I've just stood down from an ED director job after six years in the chair. Um, and it's pretty full on, like you literally get called every day. Um, and part of the challenge here as well is succession planning. So we don't do that very well because no. we like to think we like to think we're, you know, going like, to live forever. Mm. But um, part of this is, you know, it's easier to hand on if you know you're handing on to people who know the way the business runs and are capable. Yeah. Um, and also you're not stepping into nothing. So it does take genuine time to learn their leadership jobs. I don't think you can change them every two or three years. No. But there's probably a five to eight year mark that's about right. But then you also need to know where to go after you do the leadership jobs. And I think that's part of the problem as well is after you're the head of department or the professor, yeah. what do you do after that? Yeah. And so, so in terms of system change, we've talked a little bit about the kind of changes. Is there anything else that you would, if you had a magic wand and you could make the system better, how would you do that? Um, I think there's a big piece about leadership training that we haven't done. So, because um, this is another thing I observe all the time is I, I observe all these people who are miserable and work somewhere where they're not happy, but there are in fact places that are happy. Mm. And I think, um, I know for me, I remember what it was like not to be happy and not to feel like I fitted in in the system. And I was determined when I got into a leadership position to create a place that was happy. Yeah. And I don't mean toxically happy. I just mean where, you know, the biggest thing you can have in a workplace, like like in a family, is the ability to be yourself and feel that that's okay. And um, so I was determined to create that system. But I think that's a leadership piece we don't have. I think we teach people, you know, we, there's a whole bunch of management mantra out there around KPIs and business cases and things like that. And there's a lot of leadership models. But there's a fundamental piece here about it's okay to be yourself. Yeah. And we don't like that in medicine because we don't like to reveal our foibles to people very much. But actually the happiest workplaces I've ever had is where I can turn up and actually own up to how I'm feeling and know it's okay and people will gather around me. And also where difference is tolerated. Like I think in medicine we're not very good at valuing difference, but in fact my experience is working in teams with difference 
really good. Yeah, and embracing that, knowing that you'd yeah, be better off to work strength. with. Yeah, absolutely. That's. I think we're not very good at that. And I've worked with one um, leader who who did that, who surrounded himself with people that were different to him on purpose because he realised how much strength he could get from that. Um, and I wish more people would get would do that. And 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 in fact, you've just reminded me of a story. This is this is a story about how I wish the system could change from you know, this is something that happened to me that I wish didn't happen. And I had a, it was one of the only times I've done it in my whole career. I had a handover of a patient, so I hadn't physically been to see this patient yet. And there was too many things that were too close to home for me. So she was a single mum and I'm a single mum. She had abdo pain and the surgeon had looked at the CT and thought that it was cancer. And she was my age and she was madly trying to get someone to pick up her kids. And my best friend has cancer. And I said, I don't think that lady needs me to be her doctor today because she may well be fine. And I am way too upset about this prospect to be near her. It's not going to be good for her and it's definitely not going to be good for me. And And I told this other doctor on the flight deck, I just don't think I'm the right doctor for this situation today. I don't think I can handle it. And he yelled at me, told me I was unprofessional. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. I thought that was going to go the other way. Yeah, and I just, like, it was so hard to admit that. And I thought it showed great insight, and I still think it showed great insight because she didn't have cancer and it was a good story in the end. And I thought I would have made that situation, even if I hadn't, it's like, you know, when you write a book, there's a lot of stuff that people read that's not on the page. She would have felt my energy, which was, this is the end of the world. It felt like the end of the world because I was just. But also, if I don't, anyway, I've had similar things as well. And if it's not as if you're the only doctor there, exactly. if you're the only doctor, wow, you just do your best with what you've got. I just, I just can't believe we do this. But it's actually that we're, we're actually scared of our own vulnerabilities. That's why yeah. we don't. And that's why we don't cradle them in our colleagues. I think that I, I, I think if somebody said that to me, I would be congratulate them for speaking up and. And I said, I'll do any of the paperwork stuff. I just don't think I can be at the bedside. I don't think it's good for anyone, you know. <laughs> and um, and I didn't see her because I stood. It was so hard to even say all of that that I stood by my decision and and just accepted this kind of walloping that I got about being unprofessional and went and had a cry in the tea room and a debrief with somebody kind. Oh, I'm so sorry. But I hope. Because, but- I wish we had a system that would be like, well done, good. Good insight. But why don't we? I don't. You know, we can do we can do growth through praise yeah. and positive feedback. There's so much positive feedback to give people, mm. and it's not that you don't. You know, it's not that you don't tell them the bad things too. But honestly, we don't tell people the good things enough, and we don't talk about the challenges. Yeah. Just to, uh, yeah, it's not hard to learn how to be human in the workplace mm. and to own what you can and can't do, yeah. and to be honest with people and treat them like adults. Yeah. And, We're just not very good And at I it. think it's okay to follow those workplaces. In the last few years, I've gone where that, that happens. I've decided to value the workplace that cares about me more than maybe the ideal, what I thought career-wise would be the ideal workplace. I've gone to the place where I feel part of a team and cared about and that to me is actually more important, you know. So I've given up a few of my really, I've temporarily given up a few of my medical kind of loves to be with the right team yeah. because I think that's more but important. That's, but do you know what? The thing we don't acknowledge there is, so I've had this journey, this has been part of my journey as well. Obviously I was a staff specialist at a major tertiary hospital in Sydney and made a deliberate choice to step into a smaller, less central Sydney job as the ED director. 
best decision of my life. Mm-hmm. And I think we think all the all the cutting edge stuff happens in the middle, but it doesn't necessarily because there's actually more room for innovation in a place where people can be themselves and the hierarchy's flatter. Yeah. So you can get out there and absolutely drive change in the places where it's not obvious. Mm. And that's been my story. I, I, too, I totally feel part of a family where I currently work. And because we feel that, we're, man, we're an engine room of innovation. Yeah, yeah that's so it's fun. And we've got excellent results from our trainees and we have this wonderful, you know, culture. So you can make your own luck. I just wanted to make the point that um, it's okay to change your mind. Yeah. Because I, I think if you look at my career, I've been told so often, I guess everyone's worried about giving feedback and everyone's worried about rocking the boat and everyone's about ending their career. I, I, am a, I am living proof that it is very hard to wreck your career by giving frank feedback and changing your mind. Yeah. And if I can role model that it's okay to talk to people and say what you're really feeling and say what you really think and not get trapped, I would, I'm out there flying the flag for that. Yeah, absolutely. It's been nothing but a positive in my life and my career. Yeah, I I say to my juniors now, I'm 42, and I say, I can say this confidently because I'm a little bit past my prime maybe, Um, don't sacrifice your life to medicine, you know. Don't don't think that that's necessary. If you've got something you want to do, just do it and work medicine around it, you know, because I think this this. This machine of medicine serves itself by making us think that we have we are slaves to it, um, and I don't yeah, think we need. I don't think it's true. I think we can. I, I read of I read of the phrase internalized capitalism, mm. which is medicine embodied, isn't it? Yeah. Which is that you get on a. Tra- I, I I think it's a treadmill. So I think this is you know I've, I feel I've been free of the treadmill because I I hopped off that treadmill in PGY three, yeah. which has meant that I've had control of the I've I've had control of my own walking pace ever since. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, and so it just—it took a lot of courage, and it was really hard, but it was a good thing. Well, I think those stories are really important as well. I—I I do a a a semi-regular podcast with um, Rebecca Young, who does surgical assisting, Um, and I said to my juniors another time, I'm going off to do this podcast. Um, You know, she was on the orthopedic surgical training, and she stepped off and just does surgical assisting, and they're like, "Is that?" Well, can we do that? And I was like, yeah, there's so yeah, many nice. things you can do. You can do stress testing, you can do surgical assisting, and then it's so nice because you're still in medicine, you're still earning money, yeah. and then when the surgeon says, oh, I think I just pranged the bladder, you're like, oh, that's, that's not very good. You but know, as well, I think there's a flip side to this as well, which is it is okay to have, you know, you hear this as well, you go, oh, my identity is too wrapped up in medicine. Oh, no, poor me. Like I think we all want to be perfect, and my identity is heavily wrapped yeah, up in medicine. Yeah. I've just learned how to have some checks and balances around it. Well, and I think that the thing is I, I had some counselling in intern year because I was um, a single, uh, no, I wasn't a single mum. I was working full-time, had a little baby, many stresses, only breadwinner. And at some point she said, and it was a stressful job, and she said, I can give you, I can write you a letter and you can have stress leave. And I looked at her and I was like, could I? She said, the job is stressing you out. Of course you can. It's their fault you're yeah. stressed. Because and and I never needed that. I just needed to know it was possible. So I think I know, isn't it? But here it's the power of the GP. My GP was phenomenal when I went and said, "Yeah, I feel like this." GP, the GP gave me the agency. I didn't use mine either. Yeah. I was back at work within a week. But just the just the power of knowing I could pull that trigger. And I think it's the same for knowing that you can leave your job. Well, I mean, maybe yeah. you won't. But you, like, I think medicine tricks you into thinking you actually can't. And 
that's you. So this is a deal as well. I think if I look at the generation behind you and me, Beck, and the you know the um, medical student tsunami and the feeling that there are no jobs, yeah. it's a construct. Yeah, there mightn't be the jobs in the competitive specialty you want to do, but there's jobs. Yeah. And you know sometimes they're actually better. I think I think we you know I look at look at who lectures us at medical school. Although occasionally it's you or me, so we should be a bit careful. But um, we see you see the professors and you see the physicians and the surgeons from the tertiary hospitals lecturing you in the medical school. You don't see the people who are having a perfectly nice life and just happen to be a doctor. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, I do think it's, I think it's some kind of marketing, you know, that rivals McDonald's that makes people think you you must do this and you must do that. So I think my advice for avoiding or treating burnout is to get rid of musts and shoulds, you know, yeah, and can'ts, yeah. must, shoulds, and can'ts. All those kind of really um, heavily, um, you know, definite phrases. I can't do that. I can't work part time. I sh- I must. I you know I should. None of that serves us. I don't think. And I think. Yeah, I think that's that's what I've challenged. You know, I I, I can't. I must. I should. I think as well. I think there's a, you also need to be sceptical about the career advice you receive, particularly if you didn't solicit it. Yeah, yeah. Because often it mightn't be in your best interest. It's actually, you know, we talked about this earlier, but solicit career advice from people you genuinely trust. Yeah. Who you know will actually reflect on what's good for you and not just what's expected in the system. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much for chatting to um, That's okay. Medical Mums Chat About Burnout. <laughs> I think that's what we're going to call well, it. I'm glad medical mums are chatting about burnout because it's important. Yeah, I think so. And I think hopefully it's the start of a an ongoing conversation and and the start of, you know, or, or, or probably the continuation of systemic change because there's definitely some bright lights in there, but I think we just need to bust open some of those myths. <laughs>